0: And a very good evening to you. Welcome to The Catholic View. I'm Sheila Pirsch. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Coming up in today's Women Feature, we take a look at the Diaconate of Women. We also talk about the World Breastfeeding Week and then Kenyan Entrepreneurs. But for now, though, do stay tuned as we've been as we begin the broadcast with some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and beyond.
1: You are listening to Radio Radio Veritas.
0: And in your headlines this Thursday evening, Pope addresses Dominican General Chapter. Pope Francis strongly criticizes transgender ideology and elections in Africa. We begin with church news. The Dominican General Chapter, to mark 800 years since the founding of the Order of Preachers by St. Dominic, came to an end this Thursday. Addressing the General Chapter, Pope Francis spoke about the need to incarnate the gospel through preaching, witness, and charity. Devin Watkins has
2: more. Beginning with a joke about the day's activities, Pope Francis laughingly said his day could be called a Jesuit among friars. Since it saw him meet with the spiritual children of the contemporaries, St. Dominic and St. Francis, putting jokes aside, the Holy Father got to the heart of the matter, speaking to the Dominicans gathered about the need to incarnate the gospel through preaching, witness, and charity. He said it was God who inspired St. Dominic to found the order of preachers and put preaching at the heart of their mission
1: palabra de.
2: It is the word of God, he said, which burns from within and incites us to go out and proclaim Jesus Christ to all peoples. The founding father said, first contemplate and then teach. Without a deep personal union with him, preaching may be very perfect, very rational, even admirable, but it will never touch the heart, which is what must change. The word of God also requires witness. Teachers, he said, faithful to the truth and worthy witnesses of the gospel. The witness incarnates what is taught, makes it tangible, makes it call, and leaves no one indifferent. The witness adds to the truth the joy of the gospel, aware of being loved by God and the object of his infinite mercy. Lastly, charity is necessary for the preacher and witness. Referring to the early life of St. Dominic, the Pope said it was the living, suffering body of Christ which was inscribed in his entire existence. It is the body of Christ, alive and suffering, which cries out to the preacher and does not leave him tranquil. The cry of the poor and discarded awakens and makes us understand the compassion which Jesus had for the people. It is in the encounter with the living body of Christ that we are evangelizers, that we recover the passion to be preachers and witnesses of his love, and that we free ourselves from the dangerous temptation, extremely actual today, of Gnosticism, preaching, witness, and charity. I'm Devin Watkins.
0: In a meeting with Polish bishops during his recent apostolic journey to their country, Pope Francis strongly criticized the teaching of transgender ideology to children. Pope Francis said countries in Europe, America, Latin America, Africa and some Asian countries are having real ideological colonizations such as gender. He questioned why children are taught at school that they can choose their sex and noted that books are supplied by the people and institutions that grant financial assistance to these schools. Pope Francis added that in a conversation with Benedict XVI, the retired Pope said that this is the age of sin against the Creator. He is intelligent. God created man and woman. God made the world like this, and we are doing the exact opposite. This Thursday Pope Francis made a private pilgrimage to the Italian hill town of Assisi to visit the Cola Chapel to mark the 800th anniversary of the Pardon of Assisi. Minister General of the Order Friars Minor, Father Michael Perry, explains to us the meaning behind this feast.
3: The, the feast of the of the Pardon of Assisi is, is something which Saint Francis himself discovered it was in his own discovery of God forgiving him for his own sins and as he began to forgive himself and allow God to forgive him he found himself wanting to forgive others and wanting to extend that to all people even to his enemies even going to Damietta in Egypt where he was able to embrace the Sultan who was head of the religious and military group uh, fighting against Christian soldiers. And Francis extended his arms and his heart and his spirit not to convert the Sultan, but to offer him a word of peace and of love. And I think that uh, this, is, this message continues to echo out, to ring out from the Potsyanka. It's screaming out from the Potsyanka. Invite everyone to stop, take a moment, listen to God saying, I forgive you, I love you. Come back to me. And let's come back together to humanity and to, the, to the, all of creation so that we can build a world where we are truly walking in the grace and in the peace of God.
4: And today, this is the same signification, same sense. Of of Of
3: course, the same sentence of the pardon of Assisi. God's love is eternal from one generation to the other, as we heard today in the reading from the Magnificat. And so if it's from one generation to the other, it has to be the same. What maybe has changed is our ability to hear or not to listen. And maybe that's what's changed, that's what's different. So we need to let the screaming, the noise coming out of the portsyonka coming out from the message from Pope Francis, the message that the world is asking us, and even creation is crying out to us and saying, stop, listen, believe, trust, let God forgive, and forgive one another so that we can build a new world together. This is the message today in 2016 and going forward.
0: Catholics around the world are encouraged to be more charitable and merciful like the Father during this year of mercy. In Malawi, Catholic members of Parliament on Tuesday this week donated assorted food items to Mother Teresa's orphanage in Lilongwe, a center run by the Missionaries of Charity Sisters. Speaking on behalf of the MPs, leader of the Catholic community in the Malawi National Assembly, Francisca Saila, said as Catholics they wanted to join the rest of the Catholic faithful in this year of mercy by doing charitable works. Time now for a look at elections in Africa. While South Africa waits to find out how the nation feels as votes are counted, other African countries are gearing up for tough elections. In Zambia, President Edgar Lungo says he's ready to use drastic means to ensure the country remains peaceful after the August 11 presidential, parliamentary, local and referendum elections. Lungu, from the ruling Patriotic Party, says he has intelligence that members of the main opposition United Party for National Development, UPND, plan to cause havoc if the party is unable to win the polls. Moving over to Somalia, according to Michael Keating, the country's senior UN official, this year's election in Somalia represents a very unique moment in the country's political history. Michael Keating said the vote which should take place before the end of August 2016 will foster a great sense of local ownership as well as more participation by women. Somalia last held elections in 2012, the first time the country had gone to the polls in decades. Mr Keating talks about the UN's role in the upcoming elections.
1: The UN's role is to support a Somali-owned and somali managed electoral process. Our job is to provide technical support and advice but very much to respond to what Somalis themselves want to achieve through this process. Under the Constitution the electoral process should take place towards the end of August. The challenge is going to be to hold the electoral process on time given that a number of things need to be put in place for it to be credible in the eyes of the Somali public and indeed in the eyes of the international community.
0: What role did the UN play in the negotiations over the 2016 electoral process and the formal adoption of the model via a presidential decree earlier this year?
1: The main role that the UN has played has been in bringing everyone together to discuss what is most desirable for Somalia. In 2012, the election was uh, of 275 MPs by 135 clan elders, using the famous 4.5 formula, the four big clans and the .5 for the minorities. In 2020, the ambition is to go to one person, one vote, which is a big, big jump. So what we did is facilitate discussions in the last six, even 12 months among Somali political leaders, involving civil society, involving youth groups, involving women, to help figure out what kind of formula would be most acceptable to Somalis in terms of a midway point between 2012 and 2020.
0: Isn't the 2016 electoral process worse than the 2012 process in some ways?
1: I think uh, 2016 is already looking significantly different to 2012 on a number of grounds. First of all, it's much more inclusive. In 2012, 135 clan elders chose 275 MPs. This time the number of electors is going to be multiplied by 100, 14,000 people, including many women. That's another big difference. Many women in the electoral colleges will be involved in the uh, election of the 275 MPs. Secondly, the voting is going to take place around the country in six or seven locations. So there's going to be a real sense of much more local ownership. There's going to be ballot boxes, Uh, there will be uh, a mechanism for verifying whether the process has been conducted, there will be secret voting. So it's going to have aspects that simply did not exist in 2012.
4: Does the UN have a position on the reservation of 30% of all seats for women in Parliament.
1: The UN is really delighted, as are many international partners, by the commitment that was made by Somali leaders, that's the National Leadership Forum, to reserving 30% of the seats for women. But our view, on the basis of our global experience, in all countries, of all cultures, is that women's participation in politics makes politics better. They tend to be much better at raising issues of national concern, uh, where men tend to focus on the power of their particular communities. It just makes sense for Somalia to stick to its own promises and make sure that women have a full role in the political life of the country.
0: In more African news, the Islamic State Militant Group says its West African affiliate, Nigerian-based Boko Haram, has a new leader. Lydia O'Kane reports.
2: A video from the so-called Islamic State released yesterday named a new leader for Nigerian Boko Haram extremist group. Abu Musab al-Banawi appears in the video threatening to bomb churches and kill Christians while ending attacks on mosques and markets. (music)
0: And finally, people traveling to the Rio Olympics are being advised by the World Health Organization, WHO, to make sure their routine vaccinations are up to date. WHO reports that Brazil has made strides in tackling diseases such as measles, but the influx of thousands of international athletes and sports fans could potentially put gains at risk. Naika Alexander, a WHO spokesperson who has been deployed to the country for the Games which starts on Friday, says that although the South American giant has been battling the Zika virus spread by infected mosquitoes, travelers should educate themselves about more mundane concerns such as preventing dehydration and staying safe in the sun.
5: Well, I think the first thing is for people to become informed because they might be quite confused about what dangers they might have facing them. Um, We know from experience in previous games that the biggest danger is actually dehydration and sunstroke. So people need to pack their suntan lotion, hats, They need to bring, you know, water bottles so they can stay hydrated. And foodborne illness is also another problem when people travel. So to follow the usual advice that travelers have to wash their hands frequently, um, to not eat fruit or vegetables that you can't peel yourself, to prefer to have cooked in a very hot food, and so on. Um, Interestingly, we've been asked so much about the threat of Zika, but uh, one of the things that Brazil has asked travelers to do is make sure that their routine immunizations are up to speed, such as for measles and rubella, so that we, the travellers, don't import those diseases back to Brazil, which has done a very good job of eliminating outbreaks of both measles and rubella. So that's something to keep in mind as well. We're so worried about what we might catch when we go someplace, and we sometimes forget about what we might spread when we go somewhere.
4: Is it too late to have those routine
6: vaccinations done?
5: Well, it really depends on when the person is travelling, and the advice has been out for, for more than a month. Some vaccines take, uh, you know, 10 days to be effective, so it's a very important question. So if you are planning on traveling, get to your doctor as soon as you can to make sure that you have all the vaccines you need and that they not only have you received them, but your body has had time to process them and build up the immunity it needs so that your vaccine is actually effective.
3: Of
4: course, you know, you did mention Zika. Do you have any recommendations regarding Zika?
5: So Zika is new and it's very understandable that people are concerned about it and we're concerned about it as well because of the effect it can have on the developing fetus of a woman who's infected, especially it seems, early in pregnancy. So that's what we know and that's the people for whom it's most dangerous and the people who really need to pay the most attention. If you are pregnant, the advice from WHO is not to travel to areas where there is active transmission of Zika virus. For everyone else, um, it's important to be aware of Zika, to be aware of your own situation, uh, to be aware that if you travel to an area with Zika transmission, when you go back to your home country, um, you should take precautions so that if you have caught Zika, perhaps unknowingly, because most people who have Zika won't even have symptoms, there are things you can do to ensure you don't pass it along to your sexual partner or to people who live near you. Um, meaning if you live in an area that does have the Aedes aegypti mosquito, that's the one that's primarily spreading uh, Zika, you're actually encouraged to wear insect repellent once you get back to your home country, so you don't have the chance of spreading Zika further on. For people going to Brazil, what you can do to be extra sure that you don't catch Zika is to be sure you don't get bitten by mosquitoes. Now, this is winter in Brazil. Um, What you can do to protect yourself against the mosquitoes that are still here, though, is you wear insect repellent You wear long pants and long sleeves if you can, so you're exposing as little skin as possible. And then you try to ensure that you're staying in uh, some kind of accommodation that has screens on the doors and windows so that mosquitoes aren't getting into where you are. And because we know Zika is also sexually transmitted, practice safer sex, i.e. use condoms or don't have sex, in order not to get uh, Zika spread sexually.
4: And finally, Nika, um, of course, you're in Rio. Um, this has nothing to do with the health uh, issues. Uh, what, what is it like there now at the moment?
5: Well, from the moment I landed in the airport, you could see some excitement. The cleaning staff had left their post to come and watch the athletes getting off the plane, and I saw them um, trying to guess what uh, events the athletes were from. So there were quite burly men in front of me, and I, I could see the staff raising and lowering their arms as, it, as if they were weightlifting, because they figured those athletes were weightlifters. And that was the first... Moment I could see of how people in Brazil are excited. And then as you drive through the streets, you can see they're still finalizing. Near me, it looks like they're finalizing some uh, form of transportation still. Uh, you see volunteers going around the city in their uniforms. You see athletes visiting sites. Um, so there's the sense that something is happening here. It's a very beautiful city. Um, with lots of contradictions of rich and poor and development and underdevelopment and it's a very interesting place to be and I'm looking forward to seeing how the games will evolve.
0: And those were some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and beyond on The Catholic View. Thank you once again for being here with me. Time now for a woman feature. You're still listening to Catholic View and I'm Shayla Pirsch.
3: Women on the African continent are generally treated as second-class citizens. They do not enjoy the same positions as men. We say to girls, you can have
7: ambition but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful, otherwise you will threaten
3: the man. Some men refuse to invest in the education of their daughters because they say they will soon get married.
7: Because I am female, I'm expected to aspire to marriage. I'm expected to make my life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important. But why do we teach girls to aspire to marriage and we don't teach boys the same we raise girls to see each other as competitors not for jobs of accomplishments which i think can be a good thing but for the attention of men feminist a person who believes in the social political and economic equality of the sexes
4: women on the forefront a program dedicated to women who are making a difference
0: Welcome back to our feature on women. Today we focus on the diaconate of women, World Breastfeeding Week and Kenyan Entrepreneurs. In the course of a dialogue during a meeting with the participants in the Plenary Assembly of Superiors General which took place in May this year, Pope Francis expressed his intention to establish an official commission that could study the question of the diaconate of women, especially with regard to the first ages of the Church. After intense prayer and mature reflection, Pope Francis has decided to institute the Commission for the Study of the Diaconate of Women. As President of the Commission, Pope Francis has appointed Archbishop Luis Francisco Ladaria Ferrer. The Commission is composed of six women and six men from academic institutions around the world. Dr. Phyllis Zagano, who teaches at Hofstra University in Hempstead, New York, is one of the six female members of the commission whose formation was announced on Tuesday. She spoke to Susie Hodges about her reaction to her appointment.
8: Well, you know, I'm, I'm honored that the Holy Fathers included me uh, among the scholars who will, uh, will be studying anew the question of restoring women to the diaconate in the Catholic churches. I'm very honored. That's the, the best news I've ever gotten, really.
4: Why do you feel that this could be a positive move for the church and for women, of course?
8: Uh, My work is on the fact that women were ordained to the diaconate, that women have served as deacons and uh, in more recent work uh, I I say quite simply that women should be included in the diaconate as it has been restored uh, post-Vatican II.
4: And how optimistic are you that this commission will eventually, in due course, lead possibly to that decision to have female deacons within the Catholic
6: Church?
8: Uh, I wouldn't uh, use the term female deacons. I, I, I think the, uh, the the most recent study document on the question of restoring women to the diaconate, to the office of deacon, uh, states that the decision is up to the, quote, ministry of discernment that the Lord has left his church. Now. My hope is that the results of the study will include women in the office of deacon and that it, this would be a decision that will enable the church to speak more forcefully to the world about the dignity and the place of women, not only, not only in the church, but also in society.
0: South African theologian Nontando Hadebe spoke to me about her reaction to the latest developments concerning the diaconate of women.
7: I'm actually very excited uh, because I feel that uh, you know, the sort of the, the, the issue of the diaconate of women, uh, really addresses the status of women in the, in the Catholic Church. And the interesting thing about the diaconate is that there's historical evidence, you know, that women were ordained as deacons in the first, you know, 1,000 years of the church. So it's not a speculation, it's not, uh, people trying to push an issue. That's the first reason, is that this is a historical um, issue that will open the way for what, you know, Pope Francis has been talking about the participation of women in decision-making. And today, many women have studied theology, and so they bring something into into the church. And then the second thing that makes me happy is that there are so many challenges today that by allowing women to come you you almost have a, a huge woman already playing an important role in the in the church. But this time it will allow for so many to be able to serve um and to be able to, you know, to fill fill up the gaps. But that's one point, but just to be able to have the church in as many places as possible in service of people. So the is really about a release of, you know, teams and teams of women to, to serve the world. So it's not Uh, It's not just uh, a position, it's an opportunity for people to follow their calling.
0: Over half the children born each year are not being put to the breast soon enough. That's according to Tamara Kammer from the UN's Children's Fund, UNICEF, speaking at the beginning of World Breastfeeding Week 2016 from the 1st to the 7th of August. UNICEF has released a report showing that it is crucial for newborns to be given access to their mother's milk within the first hour of life. Ms Karma, communications specialist with UNICEF, speaks about the particular focus of this year's campaign.
6: Basically, what we're focusing on for this year's edition of World Breastfeeding Week is early initiation rates for breastfeeding, and that's putting the child to the breast within one hour of birth. And we recently released some new numbers showing that 77 million newborns, and that's over half of all children born each year are not being put to the breast within that first hour of life. And that's really of concern to us because we're seeing some research that shows that the longer the delay in early initiation of breastfeeding, the higher the risk of death as newborns. And we're seeing that beyond that one hour window, children, the risk of death as newborns rises up to 80% more for children who were not put to the breast within one hour of birth. So now that newborn mortality, newborn deaths account for almost half of deaths of children under five years of age. We're really seeing that breastfeeding can make the difference between life and death and plays a big part in uh, reducing newborn deaths. And why is the breastfeeding week an entire week? Why is it so important? It's an important time for us as the United Nations, but also the global health community to emphasize the importance of breastfeeding and the support that mothers need to be able to breastfeed successfully from the moment of birth uh, all the way up until six months exclusively, up until the age of two years, combining with age-appropriate foods. The the numbers that we've just released, both uh, in terms of early initiation of breastfeeding and the rates of exclusive breastfeeding, show that women really aren't getting the support that they need to be able to breastfeed their children uh, successfully. Despite, you know, the common images of breastfeeding as a very easy and natural thing, it's it's not easy. <laughs> and um, it, it is certainly free, but it takes a lot of effort. And women really need some more support from uh, their families, their partners, the health system, uh, nurses and midwives and their community to be able to breastfeed their children from the moment of birth and for as long as they they possibly can. When you talk about the poor and vulnerable population,
5: um, what are the, the specific needs in that category of,
6: of population? Well, I think one important message is that breastfeeding is important for all children. And of course, With more poor or more vulnerable populations, the risk of disease and mortality is higher. So it's even more important for uh, these mothers and their babies to benefit uh, from breastfeeding.
0: The She Trades Network is an initiative which aims to connect 10,000 Kenyan women involved in running businesses to global markets and empower women across the world. One of the entrepreneurs who has just joined the network is Kabuki Mungai Ayumba, the director of Scrumptious Eats, which distributes food and beverages produced in Kenya. She tells us more about her business. Our lemons are organic because so many people that, where we go to their farms, they just have them growing three
4: or four or five trees that they just use for their family consumption now somebody's able to buy them, make a fantastic product out of them. They can count on us next year, they can count on us in six months. Their cousin's coming, other relatives coming. they now start to add a few more trees because we need them. So it's in small ways, but that's the way we're going to change this part of the world, that's the way we're going to change this continent. And how does
5: SheTrades Kenya support you, helping you improve your business?
4: Yeah, I think it's fantastic um, that she trade. we are launching SheTrade today in Kenya and that so many of us women are going to start to work together. It's a time for the women to transform this world, to bring um, awareness to what we do. I'd love to collaborate with women in Colombia, in Brazil, in Australia, in other parts of Africa. And I think there's, there's a leadership of women that has been ignored for a long time. This is our platform that we can do this together. We can empower each other. And, and, and bring each other up, raise each other up as women. And they say, um, and it's probably been repeated very many times, that when you lift a woman, you lift a continent. And I really think that is true in Kenya. I think about my aunties, my grandparents. The women are the ones that really held on to raising the family, supporting, building things up, working with little to make more. I can see that and we have juices here. Yes. Uh,
5: for how long does it stay, for example, if someone buys it, mm. or even the soaps that you mentioned, yeah. do they have to go and cook or they just warm it.
7: How does it work?
4: Okay, so for our juices, the juices are freshly made. There is no preservatives. There is no chemical added. They are um, fresh, they are gluten free, dairy, cholesterol, and salt free. They're very healthy um, in terms of like giving us vitamins. There's a list of things there that our juices are able to do, as well as our soups. There's a lot of people that are like, whoa, you know, I started drinking those soups and I'm starting to lose weight because they have it in the evening. It's filling, it's healthy. We do things like pumpkin soup, chunky tomato soup, spinach and lentil soup, and just having like a little piece of like maybe a carbohydrate in the evening, just that weight loss. So they're able to just take it, it's ready to go, and you just warm it up. It has to stay in the fridge though, and then they can warm it up and then have it. In the fridge it lasts for five days. For the juice as well, we can deliver directly to their homes or to their offices for their birthdays, for their charmer meetings, for their all kinds of events, We are, for the schools. We're able to deliver, and all they have to do is just consume.
0: You've been listening to our woman feature on Catholic View. Should you wish to participate or contribute towards this feature, feel free to email me, Shayla at radioveritors.co.ca. Thank you so much for listening.
5: I want to leave my footprints on the sands of time. Know there was something that and something that I left behind. When I leave, I leave no
8: regrets,
5: leave something to remember, so they won't forget I was here.
0: This has been your Thursday's edition of Catholic Viewer Program, produced and presented for Radio Veritas by Shayla Pirsch. I'll be back again tomorrow evening at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Shayla Pierce.